Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Story Box, where I, your host, Jay Phantom has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the story box and hear more about our guest today. Your body is talking and it's time for you to listen. Guys, I'm really excited about this episode because we have Nat Kringudis on the Storybox podcast. You don't know who Nat is. She is a doctor of Chinese medicine and acupuncture. She's a Times 2 best-selling author, speaker, and all-around natural fertility expert. She's also the founder of Melbourne Women's Health Clinic, The Pagoda Tree, creator of Yo Nuts, and producer of Health Talks TV. And most recently, her book, Beautiful You, became a bestseller as well. And pretty much, if you have any questions revolving around the pill, ovulation, weight, PCOS, uh, PCOS, IVF, gut health, hormone imbalances, and PMS, uh, then this is definitely an episode that you need to listen to because we dive right in. I have a lot of questions, especially about PMS and hormone imbalances and how that actually impacts everything else. We also talk about the pill, uh, ovulation a little bit, but not too much, and PCOS. So I had no idea what PCOS was, (laughs) Um, but we we dive into that as well. And basically, Nat gives a non-preachy, no-crap, completely natural way to heal uh, your body and she makes your hormones happier than a Pharrell, that Pharrell Williams song, I should say. It's Nat's mission to educate and empower women like yourself if you are listening so you can get clued up on your body and take control of your hormone health. She wants to help you ditch the stress, the confusion and the endless disappointment and give your temple the attention it and, and love, I should say, it deserves. So this is a fascinating deep dive into all the kinds of questions that I really had and I wasn't really taught uh, in school and growing up. Um, I also share a very personal thing. So if you guys can be quite nice about it, it is quite. It was quite. Um, it was quite hard for me to to talk about it, but I actually do share it because I wanted to. I uh, just be vulnerable, be personal, and. And, and help you guys as well. So it's not just me that struggles with this. If you are someone else that did struggle with it, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about when you hear it. Then uh, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel bad. I don't feel ashamed anymore of it. But it's very important to get educated. And oftentimes, a lot of the times actually, um, especially the way you grow up, not all of us are educated properly. And that's what Nat is trying to do as well by coming on these sorts of uh, podcasts and shows. Nat has also spoken at companies such as NAB, Lorna Jane, uh, realestate.com.au, 
um, Monash IVF, the Wellness Summit, Pro Blogger, places like that. So you know she's uh, very in high demand. She's also been on the Kerwin Ray's podcast as well. She's a, she's a great, great speaker. She knows exactly what she's talking about and she made me feel quite comfortable as well with being able to share with some of the things that I, I had to go through with being educated uh, about certain uh, sexual health-related uh, things. All right, everybody, regarding Nat's book, we are doing a giveaway, and we Nat and I have decided to give away two copies of her best-selling book, Beautiful You. Now, if you want to enter, then here's what you need to do. So follow the Storybox podcast and Nat Kringudis on Instagram. Tag a friend in the comments below too. Let them know about this competition as well. Secondly, listen to this episode of the, of the podcast and on your favorite podcast platform. Share it around to a friend or family member. Let them know about this episode as well. It is quite impacting. And spend 30 seconds or less leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. Those who leave a review and let us know who you are on Instagram have a higher chance of actually winning. And the winners will be announced and contacted through Instagram on Monday the 20th of 2020. That's July 20th, 2020 on Monday at, I believe I'll do it at the end of the day. So it gives you guys enough chance to do it. So hope that all makes sense, guys. And I'm looking forward to actually uh, giving these two books away to you. But I'm really excited about this episode, guys. I didn't want to hold it back because I know it's going to impact a lot of people, guys included. So listen up. Uh, and without, with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So let's dive into the story box and hear Nat Kringudis' story. Thanks, Jay. I I mean, you know what? I would prefer no introduction these days. It's sort of like, you know, when people keep reading these things and you're like, okay, <laughs> it's been a long time of doing many things. So there's lots of, I guess, lots of um, different layers to um, how I help women um, understand their body better. That's what it comes down to. How can I help you understand your body so that you are informed and you can make great choices for your health? Mm, that's amazing. You've you got such a diverse uh, range of things that you actually help women with. And I'm pretty sure you also help men too with all the, the information as well, having them knowing how to help uh, a woman too or actually having this knowledge in the back, back, back of their mind is also very useful. Uh, before we dive into, I guess, your backstory and, and why you do what you do, I have one question that I love asking people, and that is, what does success look like to you? Oh, um, that's a really good question. I've been thinking a lot about success lately. Obviously, we've all had to pivot and work out different ways of doing things. I think success is having those Moments where you can look back and see you've had this crazy idea mm. and somehow it's come to life. And at the time, everyone told you were crazy. It was never going to happen. Everyone had a reason why it couldn't. But you knew in your heart that you weren't going to take that for an answer. And I think every time that I have left behind everyone's opinions about what I should and shouldn't do and followed my imagination, um, that's where I've gotten to and that's that's equated to success. So I think that if I try and sum it up more in recent times, um, that's what success looks like for me. It's not anymore actually about numbers. It's not about followers. It's just about 
being really uh, making a lot of mistakes and having a lot of wins and or some wins and uh, them converting somewhere along the line and changing people's lives. That, that mm. is another part of the success that I'm so privileged to be able to do that work. Was there a specific moment in your life that you sort of realised this or was it more of a gradual thing over time? Um, no, there probably was a specific, a couple of standout moments where people said things to me and I'm like, you're crazy. Like, I can do this. Um, one of the first standout was my year 10 English teacher told me very embarrassingly in front of the entire class one day, oh, gosh, Nat, don't ever be an author. You're a horrible writer. And I remember reading my work thinking, I really think it's great. Like, <laughs> I can't see what you don't like about this. And I remember thinking, I think you're wrong. I don't actually agree. Having said that, I had a music teacher and I did music um, quite extensively all the way through high school. I did a lot of performing. Um, and my music teacher had the same comment. Now, the thing was I didn't want to be an author when I was 18, graduating from high school. I actually wanted to study music. And I listened to the music teacher and didn't apply for the VCA, the College of the Arts here in Victoria, Australia, and ended up getting top marks in music. <laughs> so it was a really big lesson as a very young person where I was like, I'm not going to listen to anyone anymore because they don't know what I can and can't do. And, and I remember also saying to not too long after, maybe five years later, um, my mum one day saying, I just really want to be known for helping people in some way and I don't know what that will be and I know that sounds a bit ambitious but a little bit, you know, we all kind of like, oh, I want to be famous. Um, and it wasn't about fame. It was about a bigger, something bigger than me. Mm. Um, and it, it, it didn't occur to me for years after that. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't live my life every day going, oh, I need to find, reach more people. Um, it was about it was about helping one person, but then helping one person started to become or feel like I, I was like a broken record, and I was like, "Hang on, I can help more people. How can I help more people? Because everyone seems to have the same problems, everyone seems to have the same questions, and especially in women's health, fifteen years ago, there were women experiencing symptoms that we didn't have answers or solutions for, mm -hmm. and it was because mostly modern medicine hadn't actually caught up with the modern day symptoms that we were experiencing that were a direct result of our lifestyle, our environment, our nutrition. It hadn't caught up to that yet. So I was seeing women experiencing wild and wonderful symptoms that no one could explain for them. And I certainly didn't learn in, I went to uni for 10 and a half years and I still in all of my learning didn't know what to do with them because it wasn't considered factual yet it wasn't considered science so um I've always ridden the wave and not even knowingly but I guess now after 20 years of doing that I always seem to find myself in unknown charted waters mm. and then look back and go I've just you know that's what I've done and it's it, that's actually at times what it feels like I do feel like I ride the wave and not because I've chosen to, I think it's just because I'm willing to take risks or maybe I can see things sometimes that I just know to be true, even though everyone else is telling you they're not. And then 10 years later, all of a sudden it's just true. And you're like, oh, well, really, I feel like I've been, I say this all the time and I'm like, I've been banging this drum over here for a while now, guys. Like, 
Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, then, you know, people come out and say these profound statements. You're like, yeah, we've been saying this for a long time. So, you know, I'm happy to, I'm very happy to push boundaries. I'm not afraid. And that's not always great. Um, there can be times where I put my family through situations where, I don't know, because I'm a risk taker. I'm an absolute risk taker and, you know, and I'm not a perfectionist. So near enough is good enough. I just want it out there. I want people to have access. I want the information. If it needs to be updated or changed or modified or that's fine. We just do it as we go. And I think that um, comes with a level of what I don't even know what the word is, where I guess people over time start to trust you because you're putting information out there and um, over time it becomes true and correct, even though you've known it for a long time. But initially it's it's quite hard, especially because if you've got people that don't really know it at first and don't understand what you're trying to do, they can sort of bring you down a little bit as well. And especially if you've got a family too, you're worried about that, but you also want to change the world through all this information which hasn't been really done before. So you know what though, Jay, I'll have to say now after doing it enough times over, I don't actually care what other people think anymore. I really don't. It's like I've seen this so many times now that it's almost like in the back of my head, it's like that's okay, time will show. Time will show us what we need to know here. And so I don't worry anymore. Once upon a time I used to be very triggered by people saying you're wrong, you're dangerous, um, you shouldn't be saying that. And I still have people say that now and I still get in trouble all the time. Um, Why but, do you get in trouble though? Because I push the, I push the limits. Um, I, I've done lots of things that aren't probably considered conventional. Um, I unregistered as a practitioner last year because I was bound by an association that um, I had to say what they deemed me as being acceptable as saying. So if I saw young women coming to me and I knew that their migraines or their um, horrible digesti- digestion was a result of medication like the pill yep. that they were taking, I wasn't in a place to be able to say I think that's because of that my qualifications didn't allow me to say that, even though I have studied this for years and have 15 years anecdotal experience, legally not allowed to say that. No different to your doctor can't say certain things that I could say as a doctor of Chinese medicine. So we're all bound by association um, guidelines. And that's to say, that's, that's not, don't get me wrong, that's there to protect the public because you don't want people saying things willy-nilly and if I was a new practitioner there's no way I would be out there unregistered practicing um but too many times over I'd been made to feel like a criminal or I couldn't say what I wanted to say and it wasn't doing it justice for my industry and so I decided that I would um unregister and now I can say whatever the heck I like. Um, so and I can't get letters in the mail all the time saying, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. Um, now I get letters saying, I do get letters still that sort of say things like, you better change this or you better change that and, and that's fine. And like I said, I don't want to push boundaries in a dangerous way, but I want the facts to speak for themselves and I want people to have access to the facts. And if I'm having to hide the facts because I'm technically not qualified to say things that we already know to be true, like the pill upsets at the gut health. We know this. Um, 
I can say it off the record, but I can't say it to a patient. It's just ridiculous. It makes no sense to me. And like I said, if, if I was a, you know, a young, young practitioner, of course I'd be registered, but I feel like I have enough years under my belt, enough support from other industry experts, colleagues, very well-known health professionals globally that I felt really safe to do that. I was like, big decision, but I'm going to just try it on and see. And it's been the best thing I've ever done. Um, my patients appreciate it too because I can have conversations with them that I could never have before and someone's got to be having these conversations. Yeah. So why don't, if we if we kind of know this information now as well, like all the other doctors know it, why why don't they share it with with people is it because of money or what's what's the main reason that you've found i think yeah i think it's going to we've got to make sure we're going to the right healthcare provider for the right complaint or problem and i think our gps carry a lot of the weight um because that's often our first point of call yet they're not an expert but they often are prescribing medicine so for example thyroid issues uh your gp's more than qualified to uh prescribe you thyroid hormone um, however, it's probably something your endocrinologist should be doing uh, because they have a more extensive understanding and thyroid issues are, you know, thyroid illness is on the rise and that's, again, reflective of stress in our, um, in our bodies in some way. Say that again. I have an overactive thyroid or I did struggle with right. it. Right. So, but. Right. And so getting answers for that is so hard. Oh, yeah. It took forever to actually diagnose me with an overactive thyroid. They couldn't understand why I was tired all the time, why I was moody. And I wasn't on any other medication apart from the fact that I had this, this imbalance of, of my hormones resulting from. Right. And I see, and I see that all the time. And now I can, and now I'm the one saying, I want you to go get your thyroid tested. Um, As you might understand, thyroid's a great example because the, 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 your thyroid hormones really do need to be quite balanced for you to feel good. And the minute they're slightly out, because they're only secreted in such small amounts in the body, you really feel it. But on paper, you might still look good. So as long as you're within the reference range, then your GP will say to you, no, you're fine, I have no need to refer you on to an endocrinologist. But the reality is you never want to be just within a range. You want to be optimal within the range. And what does that look like for you? And also if your thyroid hormones are imbalanced, why is that? And let's look at why. And that often doesn't happen. It's just medication to make it work. No one's going, well, hang on, why is it not working properly? Like there has to be a reason. More so now we're getting more of that. But that's one example. And then, and the other great and dangerous example is the oral contraceptive pill that is handed out to women of all ages and stages and phases of life, but again, by their GP but it probably is unless it's not being used for contraception. So using the oral comp- contraceptive pill for contraception, I don't have an issue with so long as you know the facts, so long as you've done your research, you know what it's going to potentially do to your body and you can maybe implement some other nutrition lifestyle factors to help support your body whilst you're choosing to use that. That's a different conversation. But when it's being prescribed to tr- treat everything from missing periods, acne, PMS, painful periods, moodiness, anxiety, depression, like the list goes on, it doesn't fix the problem. And if you've got symptoms, you really need to be seeing a healthcare provider that can look at why you have those symptoms. And that's not your GP's fault. You also have maybe five to 10 minutes at best with your GP. I sit with a patient for an hour to an hour and a half. And so that's two different, that's really different 
um, treatment approach. And neither are wrong, just depends on the patient. But where I think we go wrong is we don't necessarily get the facts, get the information, understand side effects, but also really the biggest thing for me is you must always be asking yourself the question, but why is this happening? Not just accept, oh, I have painful periods. Well, but why? Why do you have painful periods? And we are just laughing about this because I'd been on another podcast and I'd said, if as a male, Jay, you had pain at the end of your penis every single month or every two weeks or whatever it was, you'd go and do something about it. Um, but as women, it's been accepted that we just have pain as part of our periods and it's part and parcel. And I'm here to tell you that period pain is common, but it's not normal. And it's a perfect example of something that as women, we just assume to be part of being a woman. Mm. Um, so really, I think it's giving you clues as to something that's not right. Just like if you had pain anywhere else, as we discussed, um, you'd check it out. But for women, anything kind of <laughs> south of the belly button but north of the, the lady bits, we kind of just go, oh, there's that pain again, oh, you know. And then if it's pain that's maybe a little bit to the left or the right or it's in the one spot, we, maybe we go, oh, actually we probably should look at that. But if it's cyclic, we kind of go, oh, that's just hormonal. It's yeah. not supposed to be there. It's like when you all pain isn't good for you. So why would you think that once a month that it is good for you it's, or it's normal? It's not. It, it's your body's trying to tell you something, but we're not listening oftentimes. And I, I've been under that, like, whenever I'm in pain, I sort of put it to the side. And I'm like, nah, that's not going to harm me anymore. I'll get over it. But there's always been something more sinister. Like, I just choose to ignore it. So... What is what has been the most common, I guess, symptoms that people come to you with and how do you help them, especially with period pain as well, because that's that's fascinating what you said that it's not normal. Because uh, I didn't I, I always thought that it was normal, you know, like you're educated that that way. Like you're told for women that is, every single month they have an egg, it drops and sheds the lining and blah 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 and it hurts. And they get moody and all that sort of stuff. But you have no idea that there's so much more to it than that. So mm. are you able to help everyone understand? <laughs> yes, of course. So, I mean, you, like you said, your body is always speaking to you and we need to not fear what it's telling us. I think that's the other thing is that we have a symptom and we've been conditioned to think the absolute worst. Yeah. You find something, maybe a lump, um, and it's not to say that you shouldn't. Right, that's the first thing we do. We Google it. What a nightmare. Um, it's not to say you shouldn't absolutely go and explore. You should absolutely look into that. But I think often we fear the worst, so we either put it off or we freak out and we just don't have enough information because we're not taught this. And so there's a big gap in when it comes to our health and it comes to our reproductive health, that a lot of it's just over the time has gotten pushed under the carpet because someone decided it was inappropriate for us to talk about. Mm. And so anything that's not normal, and I think people don't realise, but, you know, even a headache at the same time every month, acne, bloating, weight gain, tiredness, there's so many 
symptoms that we can look at and go, oh, actually, if I really stop and think, I probably have had that, you know, at the same time. Or I might, my son, <laughs> my son came to me one day and he's like, mommy, my tummy hurts. Now, my son's got a genetic condition and we're very used to managing him, but he doesn't digest food very well. And so, poor kid, I usually go, oh, you probably need to do a poo or you haven't eaten enough or maybe you ate too much or um, it, it's first thing in the morning or did you not take your, your digestive um, enzymes to help you digest? Anyway, this one day he's come out, he's like, mummy, my tummy hurts. And I'm like, hmm, well, I, I reckon he's probably said that going on three weeks now. I probably should do something about it. Um, and it turned out that he was severely constipated. Now, there's just one example, but what I'm saying is often we don't stand back, and I'm guilty of it too, stand back and go, oh, hang on, what's actually going on here? You know, do I have a headache because I'm dehydrated or do I have a headache because at the same time every two weeks there seems to be something happening? And it's usually if you can pinpoint something as being cyclic, you can work out whether it's hormonal or not. And so that's nice, especially as women, men not so much, but as women, the other funny and mind-blowing thing I think women need to, and men need to understand is that throughout a, a woman's menstrual cycle, so from one month to the next, every single day she is different than the day before and the day that's about to come. So you don't know what you're going to get on any given day because it's not the same as yesterday. <laughs> so if you start to think about that, and there's so many women, once you are aware of this, will relate. They're like, that is so true. Like, I am so not the same on any given day of the month. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. That's because our hormones are doing all sorts of things throughout those phases. And again, we're just not taught this. It's all put in the one bag. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, really. But as we, as we said earlier before we started recording, Someone decided somewhere that it was inappropriate for us to talk about this information and have really done a disservice to not just women but men too, I think, because we're both, we all have hormones. I think we're more complex as women and I think if men could understand women as well, that would probably help everyone. Because most of the time men are on the receiving end but they don't really understand what's really going on. And oftentimes it's like, well, can you help me understand? But then the woman doesn't really understand herself. So it's kind of like you're going around in circles. You're all trying to help one another, but really, and, and I was just told, oh, she's just having, she's just PMSing. So just let her be. But like, what are some ways that you can actually help like the woman get through this and be more understanding and just be more educated? I think first and foremost, like I said, Start to look at when your signs and symptoms are there. Start to write it down. We, we forget. We're tremendous at forgetting, you know. Us as women can say, our partners will say, are you due for your period? You're like, no, I just had it last week. And then all of a sudden, oh, there it is. You're like, oh, actually, I've just lost track of time. So I think noting down symptoms becomes the first thing that you really need to, to start to look at. Um, there's a various types of hormone imbalances that can be figured out mostly from your symptoms. So if you can start to write down those symptoms, I'd, I'd say that's the first step. The second step is to start to get curious about what your symptoms are actually telling you. And I have on my website uh, a hormone worksheet with the most 
five common hormone imbalances that I see in the clinic. Now, it's not a definite you are this or you are that, but it allows you to start to explore what your own hormone imbalance might be because there's not just one. And that's what's hard as well. It's not like I can say, oh, well, actually, if you just go and sort your estrogen out, you'll feel better. Now, often it is estrogen for women in one way or another. Um, And again, a result of our modern lifestyle and high stress levels and exposure to things. Um, But if you can at least use your symptoms as clues, then you can start to go down that rabbit hole and work out what is going on for you. And I think also having that conversation with your, especially your partner, because they're the person that's probably at the receiving end most of the time, and say, I am not, I learned that I'm not the same on any given day of the month. So let's figure this out. And whilst it, you know, does tend to fall on my shoulders as a woman in my relationship anyway, um, it's still, I think men appreciate that. I think they want to be able to know. They want to be able to go, oh, today's the day that I'm just going to hang out back here. (laughs) Um, And there are other days that we're not like that. And it's not an excuse. I don't want people to be like, or men to hear that and go, well, that's an excuse. Um, Because sometimes your hormones are bigger than you are. And sometimes, you, you know, especially if you do have particularly heavy imbalance and that can show up you know with known problems like endometriosis or PCOS as you mentioned before that's polycystic ovarian syndrome where your ovaries basically make too much testosterone and comes with other whole host of challenges um or even things like fertility challenges or other growths that might happen or there's all sorts of imbalances that can present but they all tend to have key symptoms and so working what they are I think working towards what they are can really help. And then once you know what that is, so much of what we do comes back to how we or what we do each and every day. So we, as a society, we love the the grand like need to go to the doctor and get the diagnosis and then we go down that path and we get the medicine and we're going to be fixed. Mm. Well, actually... No, it's what you do every day. And if you've got medicine and you need medicine for certain conditions, don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely not saying, oh, you shouldn't take that. But I do wonder, and so often we're prescribed medicines to treat symptoms that don't treat a problem. And so let's actually look at the core of the problem and like magic, when you do that, your symptoms start to dissipate because they were just your clues or your signals or your signs that your body was trying to show you. So I think if we can identify what's going on we have a much better chance but like I said it's the I call it the everyday principle it's what you do each and every day that actually counts the most and you need to work out and I have plenty of resources for this and so that you know it's not like it's a mystery um where to start with that and it's going to vary depending on your own body's signs and symptoms but it's treatable and I think that's the main thing we need to work out is you know, on that, you're telling me that my period pain is treatable or you're telling me that my polycystic ovaries are treatable or you're telling me that my endometriosis is treatable. Everything in life, everything in your body is treatable. But for some reason we see it as a, oh, this is how I am now. This is the new me. I've got my diagnosis. This is me now. <laughs> uh, nothing's changed. It's the bit that makes me laugh when patients come into the clinic sometimes and they'll sit there and they're like, I've got, oh, you know, I've got my diagnosis. I have... PCOS I'll be like okay and they'll be beside themselves I'm like you know you're not any different to what you were yesterday you're the same person there's nothing's changed here I knew that but you needed to go and get you and so and that's fine it's it's supporting them and holding their hand through that um 
but a diagnosis doesn't mean anything's changed, just giving you a label. And sometimes that can be great for people to motivate them, but sometimes it can actually be the opposite because we start to wear it like a badge of honour and it's it's really, it's just who you are and that's okay. So when you treat period pain, is it meant to be painful after you treat it or is it meant to not be painful? Period pain is a great example. I mean, pain anywhere in the body is just telling you you have inflammation, really. And for us as women, it's very common for that to be in the pelvic cavity. Uh, So the whole plan in treating anyone is that you would lead them to a, a path where you would look at why they have inflammation, how do we reduce inflammation in the body, so that you would the outcome of that is less pain. So looking at reasons why that might happen, gut health, liver detoxification, excess hormones, um, all of these factors need to be considered and and nutrition or lack of. um, All of these are big factors. Like if I can get someone who has pain in the body to reduce inflammatory foods, sugar, gluten, dairy, all the good things that we could eat until, you know, we fall asleep, um, that makes a substantial difference to their overall way that their body's operating. Those foods are hard to digest. They can be problematic. They can cause all sorts of challenges for people. Yet we don't we don't like to look at that side of things as a solution or we kind of go, really? It's really, really, really telling me that I can't have cake anymore? I'm like, I'm not telling you you can't have cake, but you probably don't need it every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it's not hard It's just that you've got to learn. I always say to patients, I want to give you the absolute right things that you need to do and the the least amount possible for the most change. And I will see a change in one cycle to the next one for period pain, for example. If I don't see a difference from one period to the next, then I'm not on the right track. I haven't nailed it. But I would say for 90% of patients, when you get it right, then you're off and running. And they know, they'll, they'll, you know, have their appointment. I'll be like, you're doing great. You don't really need to do anything other than keep on doing what we've, you know, um, we've prescribed for you. And, you know, we do use supplements. We use herbal medicines. We use lifestyle changes, nutrition, acupuncture. Um, and that combination of all those things is lovely because it doesn't come with nasty side effects and it isn't a... Once upon a time, I think natural medicine was seen as something that you are—you had to do it for ages before you felt better, and it's not. It's not at all. It's it's just can be as effective as taking the one pill if you can work out that combination. So, how does acupuncture actually affect your hormones, your entire being? How does it actually impact you in a positive way? Hmm. There's various ways we believe acupuncture works, and it's going to be depend on who you ask. Um, What I learnt at a tertiary level was um, traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture. It's very different from what you're going to get when you go to your physio or your chiro or your myotherapist. I trained for a really long time to learn how to properly and safely administer acupuncture and I think that's a a very big challenge because um, it's like anything, you know, our patients will come in and say, oh, I had acupuncture, it didn't work. I'll be like, Who gave that to you? Oh, my massage therapist. I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) let's have this conversation. Um, And the reason that those therapists will use it is because it's great to reduce inflammation. Uh, Like we just spoke about, it's great to relieve muscle tension. It's great to change the messages from the brain to the muscles that are kind of keeping it in a state of, um, well, it's all for 
anything your body's doing is to protect you, even if you've got a muscle spasm. So if we can relax the muscle, increase blood flow, these are the things that acupuncture we know does um, in a local area, um, then that's going to help relieve pain and recovery and in, increase the, the, um, the ability to recover. So that's, you know, pain acupuncture is very different from the acupuncture that I'm taught. I'm still taught both, but what we're taught is that each of the organs have meridians that run down either the arms or the legs and various points along that channel or meridian influence the way that the organ might work. So, for example, if you have an uh, overactive liver, let's say, maybe you have some type of liver illness, um, you can use certain points that actually help to support the liver function and change the way that the liver might be functioning to then um, help to minimise uh, those those signs and symptoms and treat it at a, a root cause. Um, there is research that's been done, uh, I remember reading when I was studying, where they injected dye into certain areas of the body and what was fascinating was that the dye actually followed the meridian or the channel. So it's typically the channel as such is is not obviously a, a um, physical, <laughs> it's not actually a physical line, um, but it is certainly something that um, we, you know, we, it's the foundation of, ha of the how we look at the human body. So it is very ancient. Uh, you know, we say Chinese medicine is around 3,000 years old. Um, and so... I don't know who was sitting under a tree one day and stuck a pin in their foot and worked out it fixed their headache, but someone very clever did. And, and you know, you only, I mean, I've been practising acupuncture for a really long time and the results still surprise me sometimes. And, and I love using it for that patient where nothing else has worked. You know, I had a patient come in. She stands out in my mind because it was so bizarre. She's like, my underarms just feel like they're on fire all the time. And I'm like, really? <laughs> okay, well... Um, she goes, I've had it. I've had all the tests. There's nothing there. There's not, not even anything to see. She had no rash. There was, she's like, they just burn all the time. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to treat you with acupuncture to clear heat from the channels that run through the underarm and let's see what happens. And the next time she came in, she was like, it's gone. I'm like, it's gone. She's like, it's gone. I'm like, well, look at us go then. So, you know, in the weird and the wonderful circumstances, it can work really well. But it can also, we know that there's certain points that have been researched to do certain things as well, and that's more new research that we're seeing come through um, where, for example, one point in the leg that they've researched um, definitely uh, communicates with the vagus nerve to reduce inflammation in the body. But we don't just use one point. We use many, and it's not even... It's not even the sum of those points. It's the interaction between the points that actually give an outcome and the attention of the practitioner. So, you know, it is a bit of an art, obviously, and I don't pride myself on being the world's best acupuncturist. I love giving acupuncture. What I love being is the detective. I'm very good at working out what's wrong um, with my patients. That's where I actually think I excel. But as an acupuncturist, there's certainly more skilled acupuncturists than me and and that's okay. I'll just take what I can get, you know, when it comes to where my strengths lie. Um, I still perform acupuncture all the time and, and I still love the results that it gives. So it's, um, it's, definitely a, a, it's definitely a great skill to have in clinic. I was always told I've never had acupuncture done on me. I've had massages and, and all that sort of stuff. But I was always told that if you get like this point right here and you massage this point, it affects your, your brain. So like, yes, you have a bad migraine or something like that, but it never really works. Yes. Um, 
So yeah. what we used to do was uh, they got these uh, herbal herbal um, things now, uh, like lavender, all this other stuff, and that you put it on the pillow, and that's meant to like when you sniff it, kind of like a drug goes to your brain, and it helps relax and calm your brain from all the, mm-hmm. all the pain mm. information, which I found found fascinating. Well, there's so many ways of us to achieve this. It's not just acupuncture. It's not just massage. It's not just, um, you know, there's all sorts of therapies. There's there's so many ways and it's. I find it, I don't know, it's encouraging. It's fascinating. We've got so many options in our toolkit. And does that also help the hormones as well? Oh, sorry, you did ask me how it helps hormones. So any, well, the same thing. So we would just look at the imbalance of in a different way, we would we would look at someone's signs and symptoms. So let's just use period pain as an example because we've been using that. Um, we'd ask a series of questions to work out the nature of the pain. So Chinese medicine is pretty funny in the way that it categorises things, but we would say is it a full or an empty pain? So is the pain better for pressure or worse for pressure? If it's worse for pressure, it would be a full type because anything that's full and you press it, that's going to be like, oh, that hurts. Whereas if it's an empty type of pain, it loves that pressure. Um, we'll also then categorise it from a, is it a hot or a cold type of um, presentation. So cold will obviously respond to heat and many women will tell you, I want to hold a hot water bottle and lean over and that will help. And someone like myself, when I, if I do have period pain, heat's the last thing I'm thinking of and I probably, because I'm more of a hot constitution anyway. So you know, we start to ask all these sorts of questions. We start to ask about the period flow. We start to ask about the period duration. We start to ask about other signs and symptoms. When's the pain there? Is it at the beginning? Is it at the end? Is it beforehand? Do you have mood changes, breast tenderness? We look at the whole picture, not just the pain, and then treat someone accordingly based on what we learn from that, using various points on the channel, for example, to help to, if it's a full type condition, help to regulate and clear things rather than nourish things, if that makes any sense. I'm not doing it justice, but that's in a 101. Um, that's in a 101 how we would kind of loosely explain the way we would treat someone for period pain would be based on their presentation, not just, oh, you have period pain. Fascinating stuff. Like I'm very interested about all this, all this so I can so I can know it for myself. It's kind of selfish. So then whenever I'm in a relationship next, I know what it actually is about, not just flying blind almost. <laughs> um, totally. Absolutely. It's, it's very needful. So I'm curious as well. You mentioned there's like five different hormones. Well, I'm pretty sure. Is there any more than that or is it just five? Oh, sorry. Five different hormones. Five most common hormone imbalances is what you find on my hormone worksheet. And they're the most common that I see in the clinic. There's definitely more. Um, hormones are signals that tell, help us do so many more things than just have a period. But when I'm talking about the five most common, I'm talking about the five most common sex hormone imbalance that we would see that would cause issues from a gynecological or reproductive perspective. Um and that still doesn't extend to other signs and symptoms like insomnia or because um, you need hormones to obviously sleep, for example, or um, depression. You know, obviously, we know that any anxiety or depression, there's typically a, a hormone imbalance behind that as well. So um, there's definitely there's neurotransmitters and hormones and messengers telling our bodies to do different things all the time. 
What's so interesting, however, is when you can work out what your imbalance is, um, you'll find that there's another whole bunch of symptoms that are associated with that, that you're more than likely experiencing, like I said, you know, insomnia, anxiety, weight gain, um, acne, I don't know, there's hundreds. Um, and that really does allow you to become more specific. And then from there you might then go, all right, well, looks like I might be testosterone dominant, testosterone dominant so I'm going to go and get my hormones tested to see. Things like that. Um, that will lead you on that, that path to learn more about what your body's telling you. Is there one hormone that is more dangerous than the other or are they all the same if one's out of whack? None of them are dangerous if they're imbalanced, but if they are imbalanced, depending on your genes, yes, obviously, we know that there's certain cancers that are estrogen receptive that, you know, if we have excess estrogen in our body and it's not clearing properly, um, that you might be more more likely to develop that type of, say, breast cancer. Um, I'd say probably estrogen is the one that we look at the most for, and that's probably the one that's most researched as well. Um, and so, but, you know, there can be progesterone-related cancers or deficient um, cancers too. So there's, it's just a matter of, again, it, it's so individual and it's not, it's not, it's not easy to explain to do justice. I'll say the most common hormone imbalance I see is estrogen dominance and that's where we have too much estrogen and not enough progesterone and that is definitely a result of our modern living. High stress, environmental toxins, toxins in our cleaning products, our body products, Hand sanitizer at the moment is like you can't even walk 10 metres without it in your face. Um, what else? Uh, stress, uh, excess alcohol, soy consumption. There's lots of things that, uh, and plastics that, that all of these things contribute to excess estrogen in the body from an external perspective. And then we also have to look at how is our body metabolising and clearing estrogen. So if those two things are factors, then we more than likely are going to see excess estrogen in the body, which can present as um, long menstrual cycles uh, or delayed menstrual cycles, ovulation pain, breast tenderness, PMS, heavy periods are the key symptom. Um, and so, yeah, I would say excess estrogen is the most common and probably the easiest to treat too, actually. So there's so many clues on my website if this is resonating with people that they can go down the rabbit hole. Um, there's, you know, there's a good 10 years of information on there over time that I've, I just put stuff up whenever something else comes that I haven't written about because I want that to be a resource where people can feel safe and have uh, the facts, like I said at the beginning, um, because it's not always easy to know. How, how can you trust people? And I don't even, I just say to people all the time, don't take my word for it, go and learn. But at least if I prompt an idea for you to look further into something that you thought was normal or that you've lived with your whole life, then my, my job's done. I'm happy. I think your your advice and, and your knowledge right now is going to help a lot of a lot of people. So if they do want to find more about your work, they can go to your website uh, as well. I am very mindful of your time, but I'm finding this conversation very, very fascinating. I have a few more questions for you, if you don't mind. The educational sure. factor, why isn't this being taught in schools, do you think? Well, it's getting better, I have to say. It's definitely better than what you and I got when we were um, in high school. A lot of people joke and say I got we got handed a banana and a condom and we learned how to roll that on there. And even some people like you and I, I didn't even get that because that was not acceptable either. Um, so right. I think it is right. I think it's changing. However, it depends on 
which uh, denomination or school or education system that we're looking at. And obviously a lot of the um, religious-based uh, schools still have somewhat outdated um, information being taught. I know when I've gone into schools, especially Catholic schools, I haven't been allowed to talk about the pill. I haven't been allowed to talk about um, contraception in general. And that really upsets me because they are learning about sex and I think there has to be some discussion about um, I think there is for these schools discussion about condoms and prote- protection to a degree, but it's still it's still deemed as shameful and making teens as if they don't feel guilty enough as it is living in the world that we're in. Um, and so I really think that there's a bigger question that needs to be had at a higher level and I'll have mothers that will say to me I'll be like I just you know my biggest want is for my book to be in schools that I think I wrote my book Beautiful You for the 14 year old me that didn't have this information had to work it out over time and mothers will say to me oh you know what I would love that but my daughter goes to a Catholic school so that will never happen and I'll be like yeah you know her anatomy and the other kid over there that goes to the public school it's the same so (laughs) they have the same exact insides they have the same emotions they have the same feelings so why is it that we just think it's acceptable in certain areas um uh, that, that we wouldn't be teaching this. It makes no sense to me. It's baffling. And and often these mothers are happy to teach their daughters outside of school. But I have to say when we, we were um, putting Beautiful You together, we surveyed mothers and daughters or loved ones and younger generations um, about the current amount of information that these girls were being given and we asked mothers if they were satisfied with what their daughters were being taught at school. 80% of mothers said no, they were not satisfied and didn't feel like that their daughters had the information. Uh, A large majority of them also felt like they didn't understand themselves enough to be teaching it to their daughters. And I think this is where the issue is that it's our responsibility as parents and loved ones to teach this next generation. However, we are the ones that have missed out. And so people say to me all the time, your book, you marketed it at young women, but really it should be for all women. I'm like, I don't disagree. Absolutely. Anyone's going to learn something from it because we weren't taught it properly. Mm. Um, We also asked, we asked women, grown women, if they knew the difference between their vagina and their vulva and 40% said no. So they didn't know the difference between the outside and the inside and that was mind-blowing and again just demonstrates that we don't know ourselves enough information because we weren't taught it and so I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done here but I love that we get to have these conversations and I love that it's definitely changing and it's definitely better but I still think that there's a long way to go given that we're the gap Mm. what they're being taught is better but where the gap because they might come home and have questions and we're like well I don't know um because we weren't taught that or the other thing I see a lot is women of my age have been on synthetic contraception the majority of their reproductive years they don't understand themselves they don't understand their hormones because they've been turned off or flatlined um so I think you know again the book was also designed to help young girls look at not just their body also signs and symptoms, imbalances, what does that mean? How can I understand my emotions better? How can I eat better? Like it, I feel like it kind of covers so many areas of, of what we might not necessarily be being taught um, or 
you know, elaborate a little bit more because even in a classroom setting, I don't think you get hours on end of information on this. You just sort of get your modules ticked off and moved on to the next topic. Mm. Like, I know for me and my education, it was crap, to say the least. And that made me, like I was telling you, when when it was a bit later in life when I did have a, a partner and she had to sort of teach me. And I was like, as a man, you're meant to know this stuff. But it was it was hard. It was like almost shameful in a way for me to feel this and having to learn this as a 22-year-old when I could have learned it so much earlier in, in my life, but I wasn't because it was it was shamed and, and put, put to the side. And I was, I was curious. And, and the more questions that I asked, the more they tried to avoid the question. And I'm like, I don't want these questions to be avoided. I want them to be answered, please. So then I know how to not just educate myself, but educate my kids one day on the proper information. So a lot of the times, I think I also spoke with a, a Christian sexologist, which was a fascinating conversation, and she was t- saying the same thing. A lot of kids, they 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 end up having performance anxiety. They end up having all these other issues because number one, the church or the school doesn't teach it, and they made they make it to feel like it is such a bad thing. She was saying that the human body is a beautiful thing. We shouldn't have this fear or anxiety about the way we look, the way our sex organs work either. That is all a beautiful thing. It is all a natural thing, but you're right. Somewhere along the line, some guys come along or girl, whoever it was, and has said that this is wrong and we shouldn't teach young people. They can't handle it in quotation marks. Right, right. No. And well, well, we're always learning as well. And I think, you know, I think the issue also here is that we should be teaching children, not adults. It, we're not dropping a bombshell on, oh, well, you're 13, honey, and now we've got to have the birds and the bees talk. But from a young age when children ask questions, to answer them with the facts, we've got, as adults, we have more than likely an emotional element to a sexual encounter. They haven't. So you give them the facts and you say, Mummy has a vagina, daddy has a penis, and you know, whatever whatever is age appropriate. You know, I'm all, I'm all for age appropriate and be guided by what your child is asking. In it's just this evolution that happens over many years where it's not even a big deal. It's just your anatomy and what works and how babies are made, let's say, for example. And then the next layer to that, when they get to be teens and they are, their hormones are all over the place and they're feeling things that they didn't even know that were a thing, um, that they're not, that's not shameful. Mm. You're not feeling something. If it it wasn't supposed to be that way, it wouldn't be that way. You know, we, we have these feelings for a reason and to think that we can only have them at certain times and we shouldn't have them here, but we should have them here. And it doesn't really make sense. I think there's definitely, um, as we were saying before, there's definitely an element to the emotional connection that we have with someone once we have had an ex- uh, a sexual experience that I think part of the rules was trying to help protect us from having that awful heart break and and not being ready at the right time or being mature enough to handle that but the reality is kids have sex so we either are going to be on board have them informed safely 
or the alternative is what we've what I grew up with was that that's not a thing you're not allowed to do it and if you do it you're a bad person and I you know that just leads to another whole bunch of issues rebellion and you know other other I think more harmful um, challenges for young people and growing up as a young person now is so different from when we grew up I think you know, there's even more stress, even more pressure. You know, kids are Googling stuff to find out the answers. They're landing on porn sites. They're looking at 13-year-olds going, is this what it's supposed to look like? And no, <laughs> you know, so I think it's up to us to definitely have those conversations so they're not, and even if they are doing that, they're coming to you saying, hey, I actually did this and this is what I saw and is that right? And I think that conversation is so, so important um, to really change the landscape of our long-term emotional, um, sexual, reproductive, all health on every level, I think, that that, that will, you know, only only translate to. I think it's the internet is a big problem for young people, especially when they're Googling this symptom or they're Googling is this how sex is meant to look like? Well, I don't understand is that that's all fake. It's all for show. And it teaches kids about abuse. And that's probably why we've got a heightened abuse rate as well. There's so many issues that stem from porn in general, which needs mm. to be educated a little bit more. And don't shame them for watching either. Educate them on... No, it's a time for a conversation. It opens up opportunity to have conversation. But if we don't know how to approach that ourselves, how are we supposed to teach them? So we need to get those skills and not be afraid. And I think also, you know, so many things that we have grown up fearing or we've had the fear put in us, uh, that that is something we have to do the work for, (laughs) which is really hard, but I don't want my children. And I really don't believe that anything that we've been given within our bodies that's it's there for a reason and yes we need to be safely guided but the minute that we try and tell someone that that's not okay or not to do something or you're not to do that I mean I don't know about you I get people telling me stuff all the time on Instagram that I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that what's it make me do as a as a 42 year old woman makes me want to do it more (laughs) that doesn't change so how do we generally gently use this to our advantage to have these conversations and also it does mean that we have to shift a little bit too mm-hmm. as adults we have to see things a little bit differently um and remove some of our own fears which is not a bad thing at all no don't the trick is not to look at it like that like it is a bad thing it's not so Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, if it wasn't supposed to be there, it wouldn't be there. Like our bodies are designed so immaculately that there's no, there's no flaws. And I don't, I don't care what anyone says. People all the time is like pancreas, don't need that or not pancreas. You kind of do need your pancreas. Um, appendix is what I'm thinking of. Don't need that. Well, like actually probably on some level we do, but we can live without it. But you do know what I mean? It's just, um, it's, it's, it's amazingly made. We are amazingly made. And so I can't buy that you know, there's certain things that are, are wrong with us. Uh, that it's just about nurturing in the right way. And you said it perfectly on the title of your book, "Beautiful You," and looking at your body, your mind, your soul, spirit, whatever you want, 
as something that is beautiful and to be admired by not just you, but everybody around you. And I think that's, that's an important message that you are uh, portraying in your own life and all the, the things that you are putting out there, which I find very useful, very helpful. Uh, now, my last question for you, this is my legacy question that I love asking people at the end. And you've reached the age of 100 or the last age that you are to be alive, that is your birthday. And your friends have put together a mixtape for you or a film, whatever you want uh, them to put together of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. I just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that mixtape to say and to show about your life? Oh, gosh. Um, I think... I think what I was saying at the beginning that I have a level of crazy fearlessness, which sometimes gets me in trouble and sometimes doesn't, um, and that I, I'm i relentless. I won't take no for an answer. I am relentless. I know. I will keep on doing something until I get to the result that I want. Um, and, again, can be good, can be bad, but I think, um, I think just being able to not be afraid to push against what we accept to be normal just because we're being told that it's normal and chances are when you actually look at it, it's not. So I think that's a big part of that as well. Well, I really like that and I feel like that's a great way to sort of end that conversation. Could talk to you for ages. I've already used up so much of your time already. Now, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thanks, Jay. It's a privilege to be able to share with your listeners and, of course, I'll come back anytime. Awesome. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.